0: Good to see all of you here today. I just wanted to give you guys a little feedback on what I thought worship was like. <laughs> Get it? Feedback. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <clears throat> I enjoyed that. Um, good to have Megan back. I know the band is glad to have Megan back. But um, uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden, and we're continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark called Move Over, Making Room for Jesus in Our Life. And today, I have a sermon that's going to be very good for those of you that like math. And by the way, I'm still getting over this cold, so if I, if I look like I'm getting ready to cough, just the board will try to mute it. If they don't, just cover your ears, all right? And I'll try to keep that to a minimum. Uh, today's message is for those who like math. If you like math, this is the message for you. Well, maybe not, but at least the title is for you. It's called Desperation is Greater Than Determination. Get it? The greater sign is a math symbol for those of you that weren't aware. That's a little care. Desperation greater than determination. And the passage from Mark is in chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. But I did this for you guys a couple of weeks ago, and I'm doing it again this week. I actually take the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke that both have this story, and I rewrote it and created a synopsis of the story using both gospels. So what you're going to see up on the screen is not just the passage in Mark. It is Mark and Luke Edited, put together, one adds one thing, one adds another, and I take out the parts that are, um, you know, repetitive, and I just use the perspective from both. But before we do that, I love that picture of that man in desperation. And what I'd like you to do before I move on is I want you to have that image in your mind this morning as we talk about desperation being greater than determination, So here's the synopsis. In verse 1 of the synopsis that we have written today. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Stop screaming for Jesus. But he cried all the more. (laughs) Scream, no. Heck no, I'm going to scream louder. They said, stop screaming. And he gets louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak... He sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, don't let the, the, the vision of this. He's, he's sitting on the side of the road, and he says he's blind, right? He doesn't get around much. They say he's calling you. He jumps up so fast that his cloak flies off of him, and he springs up. He can't see, but he doesn't care. Jesus is calling him, and all of a sudden he does something he never really does. He springs up from the ground. And Jesus said to him, what do you want for me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people saw it. And they gave praise to God. It's a great, great story. So let's look at the history of this passage. We're going to go through, as we always do, looking at the history. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Then we'll look at the theology. What about God? What did God do? Why did he do it? Then we'll look at the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do? And why and how do I do it? First, of all, I want you to notice something, that this man was motivated by desperation. This blind man was not motivated by religion. He was not motivated by money. He was not motivated for popularity. His motivation was inspired because he was Desperate. He's a blind man living in daily desperation. Each day was a struggle for this man just to get food, just to stay alive. He can't work. He depends upon how kind the hearts of those walking by him will be every day. His life is one moment of desperation after another. And as he's sitting there doing what he does every day, which is hoping he can get through, hoping he can... Find somebody that will hear him screaming and asking for food and give it to him. He hears a commotion, and he seeks an explanation. What is this big crowd that's walking by my blind man's station? What is this noise? And they tell him, oh, it's this guy, Jesus. Have you heard about him? Yeah, I heard he heals people. So he relentlessly cries out for healing. Because he sees a window (coughs) of opportunity for him that to this point had never, ever been available to him before. He sees there is a chance for me to have a whole new world, a whole new direction in my life as this crowd passes by. And so I'm going to do whatever I can because I desperately want to talk to this Jesus guy. That's what desperation does for a person. It makes you highly motivated. This man happened to be highly motivated to get next to Jesus. This man was so motivated to get next to Jesus because he desperately wanted what Jesus would do to him. So that's the motivation by desperation. But then we have some other historical parts. We have those that were embarrassed. By desperation. You ever been turned off by someone that appeared to be too desperate in a relationship? Anybody? You ever like been turned off either you saw someone acting very desperate to get with a girl or a guy or maybe somebody was desperate to get with you? That never happened to me, but still. You know how desperation can be very unattractive, can it not? Not? Here's what happens. The people walking with Jesus, they see this blind man begging. Matter of fact, I'm sure most of them knew who he was. He'd probably been there for a long time, he wasn't a stranger to the area. (coughs) They explain who's approaching. Oh, it's Jesus. And then they try to temper his desperation because they're embarrassed by it. They're embarrassed by his desperate cries for mercy. And the blind man was relentless because he knew that he was in desperate need of Jesus, and people around him were uncomfortable with his desperation. And they began to apply peer pressure, religious peer pressure. Hey, don't do that. That's Rabbi Jesus. He doesn't have time for you. You're kind of making a scene here. You're a little bit loud. You're a little obnoxious. Shut up. My mom said I could never use the phrase shut up when I was older. I hope she doesn't listen to the podcast today. Even in the face of this peer pressure, he pursues Jesus even harder. He doesn't care about peer pressure. He just says, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think it looks like or what it sounds like. I don't care. I am desperate. And I'm not worried about your opinion of my desperation. And why did he do this? Because he was desperate because he understood, and this is where I think I can be a little bit jealous of him. He understood how desperate his condition was. So let's look at the theological part of this. You know what I think is great about this passage? It shows us that Jesus loves desperation. Jesus commands him to be brought through the crowd to where he can meet him. Jesus overrides I love this. He vetoes and overrides the concerns of the well-mannered, the concerns of the self-reliant, the concerns of those who are in lockstep with what is proper. The blind man springs up. Don't let that go unnoticed. He didn't just kind of, oh, he's calling me. Hold on a second. Let me get this. Help me up. Okay, great. Oh, oh. oh, okay. No, he jumps up. He springs up. He can't see, but he knows where he needs to go. Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want? Jesus already knew what the blind man wanted. He just wanted the blind man to be able to say it. Jesus grants the request. And this is the part I love the most. Jesus has a new follower. The scripture says he gets up, he's healed, he praises God, and he decides, I'm following Jesus. And his desperation inspires others. The scripture says at the end, many people saw it, and they all rejoiced at what had just happened, that this blind man (coughs) who was desperate, Gets healed, and now he's walking alongside of Jesus, and he's not tripping over anything. You know, because he was blind before. He's walking just fine. And you know why that's interesting? Because God always prefers desperate hearts over religious accomplishment, God always prefers desperation over determination. We're going to reference last week's sermon just a little bit about the rich young ruler who was determined. But first, let's look at a couple passages. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or religion or else I'd give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. But the sacrifices that God is pleased with are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite or desperate heart. These, O God, you will never hate. Isn't that a good passage? Here's another one. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? You know what he's saying there? You think I really care about your lavish cathedrals? Think I really care about how good your religion is? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. I don't care about all that stuff. All these things my hand has made. And all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one thing whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The one thing that I will like is not your presentation, but your desperation. So what do we do? Let's contrast the rich young man and the blind man in this story. You guys remember it from last week, for those of you that are here? One was confident in money. One barely knew where the next meal would come from. One did not have to worry each day about what he was going to eat, what he was going to wear, where he was going to sleep at the end of the day. One had no idea what was going to happen the next day. One was determined to perform, and one was desperately crying out. One said, Jesus, I've done a lot of the law really good, I want to make sure I've got it. What else must I do to inherit eternal life? Give me the list. Give me the checklist. I'm motivated. I'm ready to go. I'll do whatever it takes. And Jesus reveals to him, you can't do what it takes. But he was determined. The blind man wasn't asking about the law. The blind man wasn't asking about religion. The blind man was simply asking, will you please touch my life? One was begging for knowledge And the other was begging for healing. You see the contrast? Now watch this contrast. This is important. One left alone and discouraged. One left full of joy, hope, and following Jesus. Do you see what happens here? One has everything he needs, and he comes for more knowledge, and Jesus gives it to him. And the scripture says he left alone, discouraged, and greatly distraught. The desperate blind man has nothing. He gets up, Jesus touches his life, and now he has a bigger family than he could ever have imagined. How should this shape the way we look at our daily connection with Jesus? How does this contrast affect the way you look at your connection with Christ? There's this phrase in a church. That has been misapplied. And I hate, as a pastor, I hate this phrase, on fire for Jesus. Because I believe most people don't know what it means or where it comes from. They don't understand the history or the theology. And because of that, they make a bad devotional application. It's a lack of understanding. It leads to bad teaching. But you know what does more than anything else? It leads to disappointed Christians who feel guilty. Modern-day Christianity has defined this on-fire-for-Jesus thing as being determined, highly motivated to follow Jesus, living a godly life, sinning less, praying more, sharing your faith, and you're just knocking it out of the park for Jesus. And the result, if you can somehow tap into this standard of being on fire, you're going to feel victorious You're going to live full of joy. You will sin less. Oh, and by the way, the blessings of God will flow. And I've shared this a little bit with you before, but I'm going to a little more detail today. What does this really even mean? Has anyone ever been able to give us a checklist definition definition of what on, on fire is actually supposed to look like? Is it some sort of religious, spiritual standard of excellence or some sort of positive mental attitude that keeps you and your sinfulness in check? When is it can we actually declare, yep, I'm on fire, man. I've accomplished it. And if we declare ourselves to accomplished it, has that arrogance actually just doused it? If you do achieve on fireness, can you lose on-fire status? It's almost like, like a video game where you make enough baskets in a row and you get on fire. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. If you get on fire, can you lose it? And if you can, how do you lose it? I mean, it seems to me that being on fire for Jesus is pretty important. And if it's so important, it ought to be pretty specific. And if you do lose on fireness, how do you get it back? Is there a to do list? Guys, doesn't the modern day definition of on fireness sound a little bit like works? Does it sound more like the rich young man or the blind man? And what begins to happen? is this idea of being on fire or really on a roll becomes a religious burden that we try to attain. We'll go to conferences, we'll go to seminars, we'll read books, we'll hope for really good worship music, and we try to attain this status that we are tapped into the power. I submit to you today that I don't want us to strive to be on fire for Jesus in this mindset that the church has been teaching, I think it's time to rethink the whole on fire for Jesus thing and define it the way I think scripture can define it. I would rather we all leave striving to be desperate for Jesus instead of on fire. This is the image that I want you to think about when you desire a connection with Jesus. Not one that holds some, some type of silly performance level or some type of subjective judgment. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Yep. On fire. Who cares? I don't care if you're on fire for Jesus. I could give a rip. I want to know if you're desperate for Jesus. Let me ask an important question. Which one left following Jesus? The guy who was accomplished with a to-do list? Or the guy who was desperate? Which one you think was more connected to Heavenly Dad by the end of the day? Do you recognize your desperation? And your spiritual situation? See, we must understand our desperate condition... And that desperation, not our determination, but that desperation motivates us to cry out to Jesus regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the temptations, and it enables us to get up, spring to our feet, and finally follow Jesus before the religious people would even think that we're clean enough to. Did you know that somebody just coming out of decades of sinfulness can follow Jesus better than someone who's been going to church for 20 years if there's desperation? Did you know that? I love it when really bad sinners get desperate and follow Jesus. Because the genesis of spirituality is desperation. Let me say that again. The genesis, the beginning of spirituality is desperation, not Determination. And so what I'd like to do today. You look at those pictures. I'd like to lead some of you in a prayer. There might be some of you that are hearing this and. Maybe emotionally or physically you're kind of drained and you don't have the energy to be desperate because desperation takes some energy, by the way. It's very taxing. Isn't it? It's exhausting. But some of you might be there spiritually. I keep trying to get on fire for Jesus, and I just keep messing it up. I can't keep up with the standard. If that's you today, I want you to leave here relieved of the burden of being on fire and redefine what on fire means and change it to desperation. So I got a prayer for you. If you guys would like, as Megan plays, maybe you can just, in your seat, you can keep your eyes open or close them, I don't care. I'm not gonna define what your desperation should look like. But I'm just gonna read this. Maybe you can make it your prayer. As I sit here, blind and helpless, unable to follow you like I want to, I feel your presence, Jesus. I hear the commotion. I feel your presence that can rescue me from my plight. Today, regardless of what others may think, I will desperately cry out for a face-to-face with you, Jesus. For I know that that is the only way I will receive grace that I so desperately need. It's the only way I will ever truly be able to follow you. Heavenly Dad, (coughs) this morning we confess to you that we like to hide our desperation, especially in public, especially at church. We don't mind our desperation in the car when we're alone, but our desperation can be quite embarrassing because it reveals that we aren't doing a very good job at what religion says we're supposed to be. Dad, I just pray that you would make this congregation a place where it's really cool to be desperate. I pray that you would help us to redefine what the phrase on fire for Jesus means and get rid of the performance mindset and replace it with the blind man's desperation mindset. We don't want to be like the rich young man. We want to be like the poor desperate blind man. We want our desperation to motivate us to throw off our cloak and spring to our feet Receive the healing we need so that we can begin to, with joy and freedom, follow you the way you intended us to. Because we recognize, Heavenly Dad, you don't care about religion. The thing you love the most is a broken heart and a desperate heart. Help us to never put determination over desperation ever again. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end things a little differently today.